Welcome to the first SDA podcast. We are glad that you have chosen to spend your time listening to this program, and we know that you will be blessed in the process. We pray as you listen to the message today that you will be inspired, empowered, and renewed to have a closer walk with God. single, you're a part of a family, we invite you to make just this one declaration as we begin this year. Uh, let's say it together. Today, we acknowledge that our home needs to go under construction. We are willing to unlearn bad habits and establish healthy habits. We choose to focus on infrastructure, not aesthetics. Our building materials are intentionality, principle, communication, prayer, and forgiveness. We acknowledge God the Father as the architect, God the Son as the builder, and God the Holy Ghost as the inspector. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor do so in vain. Lord, we give you permission to take us under construction. Give your neighbor a little dap and let them know, go under construction this morning. Give the other neighbor a little dap and let them know, going under construction today. Amen. I want to invite you to remain standing as we go to our scripture reading today. And again, our goal is not necessarily to be exhaustive in our presentation, but to really highlight some things that we want you to consider for uh, our time together. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 28. And, and this is a text that I want the husbands to give attention to. And then if you can put your finger over in Proverbs chapter 14. Hebrew, we're going to begin in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 28 as we just teach from God's word today. Ephesians chapter five and verse 28. I want you to give attention to some things, brothers, and then wives, I want you to kind of look at some things I want to share with you in Proverbs 14. Uh, Ephesians four and five and verse 28. When you get there, let me just hear you say amen. amen. So listen to what it says. And this is familiar to many of us who've been around church for a little while. It says, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Did you catch that? You, it says to love her like you love your own body. Watch this. For he who loves his wife loves himself. That's some powerful stuff. For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes it and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. So husbands, what the word is saying is that when you love her, you do yourself a favor. All right, so, so I want you to consider that. We're going to come back to it. So ladies, let's go. Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs 14. Um, both ladies and gentlemen, excuse me. Proverbs 14 and verse number one. Just one verse. And I think it's really important, really significant for our study today. Proverbs 14 and verse number one. Again, when you get there, just let me hear you say Amen. Listen to this, sisters. It says, a wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her own hands. So today, I want to talk to you under the subject, the traits of a self-destructive spouse. The traits of a self-destructive spouse. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that in this little while that you would say much. I pray that you would hide me in the shadows of the cross, that Jesus alone might be seen, and that Christ alone would be heard. 
And Lord, I want to put the burden of this sermon on your word so that even when we are unconvinced by man, may we yield to what your word says to us today. So Holy Spirit, illuminate our thinking, brighten every dark corner of our hearts, soften us that we would receive the truth of your word, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, let God's people say together, amen. Amen. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. Again, just talking under the subject, the traits of a self-destructive spouse. Um, I once heard the story of a, of a husband and wife that were getting ready to make a road trip together. But before they got on the road, they had to stop by the gas station to fill up and be able to get some snacks for the road. So while the husband was outside getting gas up, the wife went inside to pay and pick up a few snacks for the road. And while she was in there, the husband noticed that she was talking to the gas station attendant in a way that seemed very familiar and cozy and outside of her personality in the way she engaged with the stranger. So he went in to see who it was that she was talking to and he was made a little bit nervous because when he walked in, all of a sudden the conversation came to a halt. And so when they got back in the car, the husband began to probe. He began to ask, did you know that gentleman? You seemed to talk to him in a way that was very familiar. She began to admit, she says, in fact, I've known him from the time we were in high school. And so he began to probe a little further and eventually she began to admit that while we were in high school, we actually dated. And upon further inspection, she finally admitted that while we were dating, he at one time asked me to marry him. And the husband, who was kind of an arrogant and well-to-do businessman, he began to reply very kind of in a smirky way. He said, so if I had not come along, then you'd be married to a gas station attendant. And the lady responded in a very classic fashion. She said, no, if I had not come along, you'd be a gas station attendant. <laughs> and I guess, <laughs> I knew the ladies were gonna say amen on that. <laughs> but I guess what I'm saying is that what marriage at its core is that marriage should not diminish you. Marriage ought to make you better. Like when you're in a, in a successful marriage, beloved, it does not limit you. It does not demean you. It does not minimize you. In fact, when you partner with the person that God ordains for you, the truth is that you get further in the partnership than you would ever be able to get by yourself. But one of the things I'm going to talk about in a moment is that we're in a place now where marriage is not building, marriage is not enhancing, but we're in a place now where marriage actually has some self-destructive tendencies that I want to talk about in just a moment. But before I get there, I want to just spend a little time talking to the single folk in this room because this is the truth. Self-destructive couples start as self-destructive singles. In other words, that self-destructive nature doesn't begin once you say, I do. You actually are developing some self-destructive things before you even enter into that covenant. If that makes sense to me, you say amen. So, so like one of the things I want to say real quick to my single folk in this room is that marriage is for givers, not takers. Are, are y'all with me today? In other words, like if you have to have it your way, like if you have to always be right, 
Like, if you are selfish, you ought to stop dating, like, become a nun. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Like, this institution is not for selfish people. Like, it, it is for those that understand that in this covenant, you have to give all that you think you have to give and a little bit more on top of that. In, in fact, like, one of the things that happens in a good marriage is that there is actually a competition but the competition is not for power, it's not for control, it's not for dominance, but there is actually a competition to outgive each other. It is to outlove each other. It is to outgift each other. It is to outserve each other. In other words, let me make up a word, it is to outhappy each other. In other words, in a good marriage, they literally compete to see who can please one another the best. If that makes sense, I mean, you say amen. So, so that in a successful marriage, watch this, your partner's joy becomes your currency. In other words, in, in a good marriage, like what, what really feeds you is not getting all your needs met, but what feeds you is when you get that to that place where you bless and are a blessing to your partner, if that makes sense to me, you say amen. In other words, God has blessed me with a good woman. I, 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 can you say amen? And one of the things, and one of the ways I knew I was ready to be married was I reached a place where I prioritized her happiness above my own. And see, one of the things is as a husband, and I'm not unique in this, I think all husbands are like this, like the one thing that fills your cup as a husband is to keep a smile on your wife's face. In other words, the thing that, that makes it the hard work worth it, the thing that makes the sacrifice worth it, the thing that makes all I put into the marriage worth it is just to see a smile on Gianna's face. In other words, what makes me joyful is not just when she does what I want or I get what I desire, but when I come home, man, and Gianna lights up like a Christmas tree. It, it makes the sacrifice and everything worth it. Do I have one witness in this room today? So, so let me kind of move here because, see, again, when you understand the currency of marriage, single folk, it helps you redefine whether or not you're ready to be married. And what I mean when I say this, the evidence of readiness is not your heart's need to receive. Okay, let me say this again. The evidence that you're ready to be married is not your heart's need to receive, but the evidence of readiness is that your heart has so much to give that it can't be contained. Oh. In other words, like, like the evidence that I'm ready to be married is not that I have this need for companionship and a need to fill the loneliness void and a need for this, but the evidence that you're ready to be married is that you just got so much love and giving in your heart that it can't be contained as a single person any longer. So that watch this church, the evidence again of readiness is not an emotional deficit but an emotional surplus. In other words, watch this church. In other words, I don't get married because I'm lonely. I, I don't get married because I'm horny. I don't get married because I ain't got no money. Are y'all hearing me today, saints? Because that's marrying out of a deficit. But God wants you to marry out of a surplus. In other words, like, like I don't get married to be taken care of. I get married to take care of somebody else. I don't get married to get happiness. You get married to give happiness. 
you don't get married to be taken care of financially, you get married to contribute financially. And see, the problem is your want to is out of your deficit, but your readiness is out of your surplus. And one of the ways that you know you are ready to be married is when you have more to give than what you're demanding from somebody else. In other words, single folk, you ain't ready to be married if your heart looks like this. Like a half-empty cup, you're not ready to be married until your heart is functioning in the overflow. Can the church say amen? Are, are y'all hearing me today, saints? It is not to your heart functions with more to give are you willing to be ready to be married to somebody else. Come on and say amen. So then what that does, single folk, is it changes what you're looking for because what we do is we function as a half cup and I'm looking for another half cup to fulfill me. But how many of us know you shouldn't be looking for a half cup? You ought to be looking for another full cup. Oh, shoot. In other words, you ought not be looking for a half cup. You ought to be looking for a full cup. And your preparation for marriage is to become a full cup. Mm. In other words, watch this. See, the thing you got to understand about two half cups is two half cups can never satisfy each other. So that even if a half cup gives all that it has to another half, eventually it's going to function in emptiness. And because it's functioning in emptiness, it's got to get back what it just gave you. Oh, y'all not hearing me. In other words, when you function as a half cup, you have to guard what you give because you don't know what you got left. Mm. All right, so let me take it a little bit further. I need you to know that a full cup can't function happy with a half cup. So that even if a full cup gives the half cup what it has, eventually all you're going to have is two half cups. Y'all still not with me today. In other words, if a half cup is married to a full cup, all the half cup is going to do is deplete the full cup and they both going to be unhappy together. But what really makes the thing work is not when you got two half cups trying to pour from and into one another. The two parties can't be happy until both parties go to the pitcher. In other words, the pitcher is Jesus Christ. Well, y'all not hearing me today. And when he gets filled by Jesus and she gets filled by Jesus, they both can function in the overflow because they are connected to the source and they're not trying to get eternal happiness from a finite source. Are y'all with me today, saints? And see, and this is why God is trying to grow us to a point where we are looking not for people to complete us, but you're looking for people to bless and function in the overflow with, if that makes sense to me, you say amen. And so really quick, I want to go back to this thing, and I don't want to be eternal, even though I want to give eternal principles. I'm going back to Proverbs 14, verse 1, because this is a very powerful statement. I'm going to start here with my sisters, and I'm going to start here for a reason, and you'll appreciate it later. The Bible says, a wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears it down. And see, there's a principle I want to share real quick is that the greatest threats to your marriage are not outward threats. Are y'all hearing me today, saints? Like the greatest threats to your marriage is not that you got, you're struggling financially. It's not that there's another man or another woman. 
It's not that there's a job lost somewhere in your journey. I need you to know the greatest threat to your marriage, it ain't even the devil. The greatest threat to the marriage are those two principles that covenant to be married together for better or worse, for richer or poorer, to death do them part. Are y'all hearing me today, saints? And the reason, beloved, I'm really sticking here to this idea is this, is because it's really easy to say, man, the reason we're struggling is because it's financially tight. The reason we're struggling is because my husband lost his job. The reason we're struggling is because there was another man or a woman. But that's not Paul saying in 1 Corinthians 10 that there is no temptation coming to you that is not common unto me. Are y'all hearing me today, saints? In other words, your marriage ain't going through no outward struggle that nobody else hadn't had to face. In other words, like how many of us married folk, you've been married your whole life and you ain't never had a financially tight day? Like, I mean, the truth is, if you're married to a good man or a good woman and they a little cute in the face and she's thinking the way, there's going to be somebody on the outside that's going to have an attraction. Are y'all hearing me today, saints? In other words, there's going to be trauma. There is going to be loss. I need you to know that difficulty is a part of the journey. But see, the problem is if I blame all my issues on outward variables, it keeps me from having to make that long, hard look in the mirror and considering my own ways. If that makes sense to me, you say amen. And the reason this is important is because difficult circumstances don't create cracks. They just expose them. So that if your marriage fell apart because you came upon a hard financial time or there was a death or a loss or a hardship or a job loss, I need you to know that that outward thing is not really your problem. The issue is that you've been building on a faulty foundation that was filled with cracks and fissures and all that outward circumstance did was expose the issue that was already there. And see, it's just kind of like this, that if ever it rains outside and you see a water intrusion in your heart, in your house, I need you to understand that all the rain does is it reveals the fact that there is a shingle missing or a shingle that is broken. I need you to know that the problem is not the rain. In other words, I can pray all day that it never rains again, but the problem is I got to get to a place where I make sure that there ain't no cracks in the roof, that there are no shingles missing so that I can withstand whatever the outward elements might send my way. Are y'all hearing me today, saints? And what I'm saying is stop walking around praying that it never rains again. Like into every life, there is going to be some sunshine and some rain. Jesus said that the rain is going to fall on the just and on the unjust. How many of us know it doesn't matter how much you pray over your kids? It doesn't matter how early you get up in the morning and have devotion. It doesn't matter how many prayer walks you have around your house. It doesn't matter how early you get up and have couple devotion. There's going to be some rain that falls on that house. And the issue is not the rain, but it's making sure that I'm divinely covered and we don't have any cracks in the relationship because all the rain does is exposes what's already broken. Can the church say amen? And see, the thing about it is when we allow outward circumstances to be the source of the good or the bad, what we do is we subscribe to a certain degree of randomness or luck. In other words, the reason they stayed married is because they all had all fortunate circumstances. Because everything lined up just right, it must have been meant for them to be together. But as you've heard me say a thousand times, successful couples aren't meant to be 
Instead, successful couples make it work. And the thing that I want to speak into somebody today, I need you to understand that there ain't no adversity. There is no trial. There is no satanic attack. There is no other woman or man that if you keep your hand in God's hand and you keep your hands in one another's hand that you cannot overcome and see your way through. Are you hearing me today, saints? And so let me just kind of take a moment here and say this. I want to talk real quick to, to the ladies real quick. I want to say just four things. I'm not going to be exhaustive. In fact, I'm going to be quick, and I want the burden to rest on the scriptures. Four things that sometimes a wife may do to destroy their home. Now, again, this, the issue is self-sabotage. Now, I'm thinking about self-sabotage. That's not the goal for any woman. But it is the result of desiring the right result. But when she uses the wrong tools. In other words, what she wants is a good thing, but it becomes destructive if she uses the wrong tools to get it. If that makes sense to me, you say amen. In other words, a wife becomes self-destructive when she becomes self-destructive with her words. Come on and say amen today. Brothers, help me out. Brothers, come on now, y'all. We've done this. You know your turn is coming. All right, brothers, can I not tell the truth? All right, listen, it becomes self-destructive when she becomes destructive with her words. Now I want you to read the scripture, and I'm going to let the weight of this thing rest on the scripture. The Bible says, the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. In fact, I want to just say this to my sisters in Christ. I want you to hear the voice and the cries of your husband coming through the pastor today. I need you to understand that a woman's tongue can be the tool that builds her marriage, or a woman's tongue can be the shovel that buries it. In other words, your words have more power than you realize. Your words, for both good and bad, have more weight and authority than you function with. And see, and that's why the Bible literally says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. And I need you to understand, sisters, that your reality is going to always mirror your words to and about your husband. And I need you to get this, that even when you are reacting to his trifling behavior, you've got to be careful what comes out of your mouth because what you think is an assessment might wind up becoming a prophecy. In other words, when you say you ain't ever, never going to change and you declare you're going to be just like your daddy and you declare that you ain't going to never become nothing, you think you're just assessing his behavior, but you don't realize that you are setting in motion in the atmosphere of your home a chain reaction of things with your words that literally work against the interest that you're praying to not see come to pass. See, your words have more power and weight than you realize. And see, I want you to hear me on this, because I want you to mishear the pastor. Again, the goal is not to smother your feelings. The goal is to express them constructively. <laughs> the goal is not to just say, shut up and take it. The goal is to say that when you speak, be careful how you speak. Are you hearing what I'm saying? In other words, so, so again, let me just use myself as an example. Like God has blessed me, and again, I'll say that a lot in the next five weeks, but I need you to know that being married to the pastor, it is no crystal stare. Are y'all hearing me? In other words, man, I'm an intense personality. I'm right like 99% of the time. Um, 
And, and God knew that I needed to be matched up with a strong woman. God knew that. But I need you to understand that, like, man, even though, listen, listen, I have a strong personality. My wife is always very careful in the way she addresses me, but she's very direct. And so, like, one of the things that she'll do, any of y'all ever saw this movie called War Room? So it's crazy. So my wife, man, she put together this war room in, our, in her closet. So she got scripture readings and prayers with my name all over it. And so it's crazy. So how like when we've been kind of going at it and we've just been off with each other and sometimes she'll go in the, in the, in the war room and she'll just bathe that thing in prayer. And it's crazy. Like when she comes out of the war room and you hear those four words, husbands, we need to talk. And, and, and it's crazy because, man, when I see her come out the closet, I'm already throwing off balance because I know she's been praying over the joint. And, and it's crazy, man, when she sits me down on the couch and she'll open, I can see Jesus in her eyes. I can hear an anointing in her tone and her inflection. And, and when she grabs me by the hand, I can sense the Holy Spirit is on her. And then she grips it just enough so no, she, no, I know she ain't playing around with that thing. And the thing I need you to know about her words is that they are always calculated. They are prayerful. They are thought out. But I need you to know they are dead in earnest. They are serious. She is not sugarcoating anything. And because she comes in such a consecrated spirit. In other words, my heart is already melted just by the way she came. So that even if I don't agree, I just be like, all right. I'm just going to roll with it because she comes in a spiritual fact. Are y'all hearing me today, saints? In other words, she does not smother how she feels. She does not hide the truth. She does not capitulate to every want or desire I have, but she knows how to speak the truth in love. Can the church say amen today? And so I just want to point out some things, sisters, and just hear me on this. It is There's some things it's just never okay to do. And y'all going to get mad at me. But you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free, right? It's just never okay to talk to him like a child. Hey, brothers, amen. Amen, brothers. It's just never okay to talk to him like a child. That, that's a grown man that you married there. Even if you have to pick his clothes up off the floor, he's a grown man. Come on, brothers, amen. Even if you keep leaving the toilet seat up, that's still a grown man. All right? I mean, I mean, you still have to fix his food and cut it up. He's still a grown man. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? Still a grown man. And see, the crazy thing about it is, you know how even when you talk to your children, you don't just talk down to their behavior, you talk up to their potential. So even when I'm talking to my children, I don't just talk down how bad you is and how much you mess up. The reason I'm getting on you is because I know you're better than that. You're smarter than that. You're more capable than that. I believe in you. And what I'm saying is that even when you're talking to a difficult situation, don't talk down to his behavior. Talk up to his potential. Let him know you're better than that. God has put more inside of you. And I need you to know that you'll draw out more potential by talking up to the potential than by talking down to his behavior. Are y'all here? me today, saints. I need you to know it's never okay to tear him down publicly and specifically in front of your children. Come on and say amen, somebody. 
I need you to understand that when you tear him down in front of the kids, what you do almost kind of unwittingly is you cause the respect that the kids have for the dad to be eroded. And what happened is they begin to show contempt for the dad in a way that is going to be destructive both to his relationship to them and his relationship to you. And see, the thing about tearing down a dad in front of the kids is that contempt that you create toward him. That contempt is eventually going to swing back and hit you in the face. And so you got to always function uh, behind closed doors, maybe in conflict, but you got to come as a combined unit in public. Are y'all hearing me, saints? In other words, you need the kids to always have, his, to have respect for him because there's going to come a day when those kids get old enough and you're going to need daddy to be your avenging angel. You're going to need somebody with male energy to stand in the gap and put those little ones in place. Come on and say amen. And it's never okay to say everything on your mind. I know y'all going to get quiet on me on this. Because I understand, you realize everything on your mind is not supposed to be said. <laughs> Listen, I, I know we Christians, but we, we have some unsanctified stuff go through our heads. Come on, come on, tell the truth. Every thought you have is not a Bible verse. There, there are times where you have hate in your heart and disgust in your heart, and, and in your heart you just want to leave and never come back home again. You have all those kind of thoughts but everything that you think here does not need to be expressed outwardly. Are you hearing me today, saints? The other thing I want to say is that it's never okay to give him an ultimatum. Because understand, when you do that, you're playing Russian roulette. That, that's a big gamble. And the truth is, like, honestly, again, I want to be careful how I say this. You may have, like, one ultimatum in your whole marriage. But if you've given him one every other day, you don't take out this trash, I'm going to leave. <laughs> I mean, every other day is an ultimatum. Eventually, what that does is it puts him on edge to the point that eventually he might take you up on your invitation. So you want to be careful about that. And it's never okay to use your words to strike his sore spots. And you know what they are. And you know what you be doing. Amen. Because this thing I need you to do is that even the most patient man has a limit. Even the most Christian man has a limit. Even the most reserved, kind man, laid back, easy going, he can take a lot. Everybody has a limit. And again, I just want to encourage you to be mindful to make sure that your words are healed and men and that they don't drive a wedge between the two of you. Let me just take a quick moment here. I want you to look here. Uh, here in Proverbs, uh, Solomon draws a comparison between two types of women. In Proverbs chapter 7, he talks, and we've talked about this before, he talks about the adulterous or evil or sinful woman. In Proverbs 31, he talks about the virtuous wife. And see, the amazing thing about it is that they both use their tongues for two different outcomes. Do you notice about the Proverbs 31 woman? At the end of Proverbs 31, you know what the Bible says? That a husband, he rises up and he calls her what? Blessed. But the Bible says that for a reason. Because the Bible says that she speaks with wisdom and the law of kindness is under her what? under her tongue. But notice now that the woman who is an evil woman or adulterous woman, the woman who takes somebody else's husband, the same way that the Proverbs 31 woman uses her words to keep her husband tied to him, I need you to know that the evil woman uses her words to pry him away from you. 
So notice that the Proverbs, the evil woman, she may be fine and attractive physically, but when you read the text in Proverbs 7, read it when you get home, the Bible says, with persuasive words, she leads him astray. And she seduced him, not with negligee, not with a short skirt, not with Daisy Dukes, but she seduced him with smooth conversation. Are y'all hearing this thing, saints? And it is the perfect storm when somebody's telling him he, how great he is at the same time you telling him how lame he is. Are y'all hearing me today, saints? And it won't ever be okay or justified, but what I am saying is that there's a cause and effect. Come on and say it, church, say amen. And so again, I want to just encourage right here, the Bible says that your lips, Solomon talking about that beautiful Ethiopian wife, he says your lips drop sweetness like the honeycomb. Says milk and honey are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. In other words, sisters, let me ask you a question. You ain't got to answer it out loud. But if we were to look at a transcript of your words to your husband and in your home, and if we were to name a fragrance after your words, what would that fragrance be? Would that fragrance be strawberry, chamomile, lavender, silk? I'm struggling right now, you know. <laughs> or would your fragrance be skunk? In other words, words create a fragrance that fills up the atmosphere of the home. And you got to be careful about what fragrance fills up the atmosphere. Come on and say amen. In other words, number two, sisters, one of the things that's self-destructive is when she or you, when you expose his flaws. Bible says here in 1 Peter 4, 8, and above all things, I'm, again, I'm letting this rest on the word. This is not my opinion. This is in the scripture. Come on and say amen. amen. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a what? Love will cover a multitude of sins. And see, the thing is, again, I don't want you to hear me incorrectly. When I talk about covering for him, covering for him does not mean justifying foolishness. It does not mean condoning trifling behavior. But at the same time, it becomes self-destructive when you expose his flaws to the world. Can the church say amen? See, I need my wives to understand that there ain't no healing for you on social media. In other words, I don't care about all the folk you get to pray for your marriage on social media. Everybody you tell about your business, ain't no healing for you out there. There ain't no healing for your marriage in your girlfriend circle. I need you to know that your parents don't need to know every time he messes up or every time he goes astray. I need you to know that the more you put outside of the marriage, you simultaneously weaken your covenant with him at the same time. And see, I need you to know that if you want him to shut down, if you want him to stop talking, see, there are certain times where couples will come to me in counseling, and I know automatically when they won't come back again, because when she uses counseling as a means to expose him to the pastor or the counselor, I already know he ain't coming back. Because what a brother is not going to let you do is put his business all out there in the streets. Are y'all hearing me today, saints? And see, and let me, let me just pause and just give this quick commercial. Because I don't think you ought to cover everything. So if, commercial, if a man is putting his hands on you, I'm not saying keep that secret. Matter of fact, you need to run as fast as you can. No, you should run faster than Usain Bolt with his feet on fire. Are, are y'all hearing me? What I'm saying is I'm not saying, no, 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 you don't cover that in Jesus' name. You got to recognize that you are God's child. Your body is God's property, that your spirit belongs to God, and that you don't let nobody abuse it or tear it down in Jesus' name. Are y'all hearing me today, saints? 
I, I encourage you to run. And listen, listen, before you call me, call the police. No, y'all, see y'all tripping. Uh -uh. Call me after he in jail. Come on, say amen. Listen, listen, I've just made up in my mind there's just certain ways I'm not going to die. Come on and say amen. And it ain't going to be in no domestic disputes. I mean, I'll die from persecution, but uh, there's just certain situations. <laughs> but, but, but beyond kind of certain things, I want to encourage you to understand that you don't need to expose him. But the issue with some of us is we feel like exposing him feels righteous to you. But the reason I know it, that's not a righteous action is because the Bible says love does what? It covers a multitude of sins. Love does not expose. Love covers. In other words, I need you to understand that your husband needs a safe place. He needs a retreat. He needs some space in this world where he's not on trial, not being picked apart, not being evaluated, not being assessed constantly. He needs somewhere where he can know that his partner has him covered and he uh, has not to fear any retribution. Because see, one of the things I need you to know is that there's something about men, even when we talk about people being two-faced, we usually refer to women. But I need you to know that there's an element of men that we are two-faced by nature. And what I mean when I say that is because of the way we've been socialized from the time that we were kids. Like when you fall down and your knee is hurting and your arm is bleeding, what does your daddy tell you to do? He tells you to man up, buck up, and pretend like ain't nothing happening. In other words, even when you get beat on the court or you lose the basketball game or the football game, you can't go to the corner and start crying. No, you got to just put it on the inside and you don't let anybody see that you're hurting. And really what that does by nature is it creates a duality to us because by nature what a man wants to do is on the outside, I want to present and act like everything is okay. Even when I'm broken and fractured on the inside. Are y'all hearing me, saints? And see, there are times where you feel like he won't ever get help, he won't ever change unless I expose him and I bring that thing to the light. But how many of us understand that exposing things is not your job, it's God's? Remember what God says. He says, that which is done in the darkness. He says, rest assured, it's going to bring it to the light. He says, beware your sin shall find you out. And because God wants him to be saved more than you do, God is going to bring that thing to a light in a way that it can't be hidden, it can't be contained, it can't be smothered. That truth is going to literally be like that great blade of grass that grows through the crack in a, in a concrete. Because you can't keep the truth hidden. God will make it known in his own time. Can the church say amen? Third thing I want to say real quick is, ladies, he is self-destructive when you give up on him. So the Bible says, love is patient. Love is what? Come on, ladies. Don't become illiterate on me. Read this word with me. Love is what? It's patient. It's kind. It always, it always, it always hopes and it always, Woo! I just said more than you realize. Because, see, we, we are under this idea that love ought to function in a vacuum with no opposition. That love is supposed to feel good. No. That love is supposed to be something I always want to do. But do you know what the very nature of persevering is? Persevering says I keep going when I don't feel like it. Persevering says I keep running when I'm exhausted. 
Persevering says I'm out of breath and I'm out of gas and I ain't got nothing else to give, but I'm not going back the other way. I'm going to persevere in this marriage. Are y'all hearing me today, sisters? And watch this, that, that giving up on him doesn't mean you ask for a divorce. Giving up on him just means that you make your contempt for him obvious all the time. In other words, when your disrespect or your lack of respect or your unwillingness or not unwillingness or just your inability at times to express uh, uh, your belief in him literally just gets to a place where it just dries him up on the inside. And see, the one thing about love is that love remains optimistic. Okay. And what love does is it expresses that optimism. Like, sis, like when is the last time you just said... Baby, I, I want you to know, I believe in you. Are y'all hearing me? I believe in you. We'll go much further than you just a sorry joker that don't make enough money and you always hang out with your friends and you don't never clean up nothing. Do you realize that the latter conversation is not transformative? You <laughs> there ain't no change in that statement. But just an expression of belief. Husbands, am I telling the truth? Don't you need your woman to believe in you? Because outside of your house, there's a lot of folk that don't believe in you. But you need somebody that says, I, if, that says, I believe you can do it. And let me just say this, man, just in support of my brothers, like, especially when we're talking about giving up on him, you can't get mad because he never became who he never promised to be. See, and this is where single ladies, I want you to hear me on this. See, and this is where we a lot of times marry, mess up. Sometimes you marry a man's potential instead of his character. But see, you got to be careful about that potential because potential has a shelf life. In other words, like if you dating and y'all 42 and you talking about he got potential, uh-uh, he is who he is. Uh-uh, if he ain't changing up, that's, that's what it's going to be. In other words, you, you can't marry by faith. You got to marry by sight. Come on and say amen. No, 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 no. Like, if you're 20, you can go with potential. But if you're 37, that is what it is. Come, come on and say amen. In other words, don't get mad because he ain't spiritual now. He wasn't spiritual when you met him. Don't get mad because he ain't clean. He was never clean. He was never good with money. He was never romantic, but you married hoping he would become. And now you're mad. Oh. But you got to marry saying if they never change one iota, I'm going to celebrate what is. <laughs> y'all don't want to give no praise this morning. Come on, y'all don't want to give no praise. Uh, real quick, I'm not going to stay here long because I know the baby's in the house and we'll talk about this more on third Sabbath. But again, it's self-destructive, ladies, when you withhold yourself from him. Come on and say amen. That was a weak amen, brothers. I'm preaching for you. Brothers, I'm preaching for you. I'm doing the best. Brothers, I am preaching for you. I got you. I got your back. <laughs> Listen, th this is in the Bible, right? The wife... <laughs> 
Listen, you know what's funny? This is the only Bible verse a bunch of husbands in church know. This is the only one they know. Only one they know. This is the only memory verse they ever, they ever took serious. This one right here. <laughs> this one and Jesus wept. The only two they know. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but she yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but he yields it to his wife. And do not deprive each other except for uh, perhaps by mutual consent for a time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Now again, I know this issue has much more layers than what I'm going to spend time here with today, but I want to talk about specifically withholding for, for two reasons. In other words, when she withholds as punishment or to leverage power, that's a self-destructive practice. Now again, I know there are other reasons for withholding. We'll talk about that in another presentation. But what I'm talking about specifically is for punish, to teach a lesson, or to leverage power. And brothers, they got all the power, don't they? <laughs> they got all the power. They got all the power. They got all the power. You might have the money, but she got the power, though. She got the power. She got the power. Eric, they got all the power, Doc. They got all the power. <laughs> Bring a strong man to his knees. <laughs> Murph, they got all the power, man. But I need you to know that, that uh, <laughs> when you do that for more than, again, these other reasons, I'll talk about that later. But again, like what happens is when you punish or you do that to gain leverage, what it does is it actually communicates not just a, a withholding of a physical exchange, he feels rejection. What you do almost kind of by nature is you force him to retreat into a dangerous world of fantasy and independent behavior. In other words, you never want him expressing himself by himself. Did I say that good? Amen. 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 That's an act for two people. Amen. Right? But I think really, and for Christian men, this is where I really want us to be careful, because see, when a wife withholds, it causes godly men to envy the wicked. In other words, he's looking at all these jokers out here, they ain't taking care of their wives, they ain't paying no bills, they ain't being faithful, they ain't being no committed, but they seem to be receiving all of the benefits. And, he, and see, you never want a godly man to be envying those who are outside. You want to bless him in such a way that he walks around singing, it pays to serve the Lord. Are y'all hearing me? Amen, brothers. Amen. Or he'll get to a place where he starts to feel, and he won't say it like this, but he'll get to a place where he starts to feel very little use for the marriage. He won't say it, but he's like, why, why, why are we still married? And oh, ain't nothing for me here. I mean, that, that's what he's thinking. All right? And so again, again, the ramifications are more crushing and self-destructive than sometimes we even recognize. And so again, we want our wives to function like the wife in the book of Song of Solomon. We don't talk about that in a couple of weeks, where she says, she says to the husband, blow on my garden. Come on now, it's in the scripture. This is going to be his third memory verse right here. Listen, like, you're going to be in the Bible. You're like, dang, he in the Bible. It's Song of Solomon. Don't even get, don't even get happy. It's Song of Solomon. It says, blow on my garden <laughs> that its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste his choice fruits. Brothers, come on and say amen in this thing. In other words, the wife is to be an open garden, not a closed up safe. Come on and say Amen. 
<laughs> She's supposed to be like I hop open all the time. Y'all not hear me. <laughs> Listen, man, we got too many safes. We got too many vaults. We need more gardens. <laughs> Some more gardens. <laughs> Oh, Lord. And why, in order for y'all to stay connected, and I want to just again say all this carefully, he needs to experience you. Did y'all catch that? Did I say that good? He needs <laughs> an experience. That's why some brothers can't shout in church this morning. He ain't had no experience. <laughs> That's why he an angry black man. He ain't got no experience. <laughs> That's why he always frowning. He ain't got no experience. Give that brother an experience. Amen. All right. So I want to talk real quick. I'm, I'm turning the corner. <laughs> I'm turning the corner. All right, so watch this. I'm moving quick. So the traits of a self-destructive husband. So, so again, I don't want to talk so much about the traits, but husbands, I need you to really get what I'm, where I'm going to start, right? So going back to Ephesians 5, in the same way husbands ought to love their own wives as their own what? He who loves his wife loves what? Catch this, this powerful thing, and I'm reinforcing some things. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but feed and they care for their body, just as Christ loves the church. So watch this, man, like loving her. That's what the Bible is saying, is loving her is the best thing you can do for yourself. No, 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 see, see, no, no, because you, no, you think taking care of you is the best thing you can do for you. No, actually the best thing you can do for you is to guarantee and invest in her happiness. No, 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 I need you to receive this word like, like, so, so, like, now when I get Gianna flowers, I say, man, I'm getting us some flowers. Because we both going to get, no, y'all not here. No. <laughs> we both get the gift of Christmas. Amen. All right. So, <laughs> it's the best thing you can do for yourself. Why? All right. So, this is my belief. See, what Paul is saying, it actually goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Why? Why is Paul saying, if, if, if you take care of her, you take care of yourself? It actually goes back to the created order. So, fellas, like, I want you to hear me on this. And I don't know if it's good or bad, but I actually believe that God has actually given us a genetic advantage in marriage. <laughs> so watch this. So the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be what? Alone. I will make a helper suitable for what? Did y'all catch that? So that even when you look at the created order, what God did not do, he did not make Eve first and then make Adam to be suitable for him, for her. Are y'all hearing me? What the word actually says is that God made Adam first, created the archetype, but then he says, I'm going to create something that's going to be suitable to bless and enhance and mature the happiness of Adam. 
In other words, I, I don't know if it's good or bad, but Eve was literally constructed and designed from her physical makeup to her mental makeup to her temperament to the way she interacted with Adam. She literally had in her DNA Adam's happiness. Woo! In other words, she was literally hardwired to make Adam happy. Did y'all catch this? Like, like, it's crazy. Like, I need you to get this. Like, this is my belief. And, and again, I'm seeing this the longer I'm getting married. I didn't get this at the beginning because I thought it was hard to make a woman happy. But no, that's not true. She was actually designed to make a man happy. In fact, I saw this this week. Man, that actually made me mad. My daughter turned six, so we took the cake, uh, the cake up to her classroom, and we had the happy birthday cake and celebration in her classroom. And it's amazing how by nature all the boys are just sitting down waiting to get their cake. And all the girls, by nature, my daughter included, they want to ask, uh, uh, you know, can we help cut the cake? Can we help serve the cake? In other words, all the boys are sitting down waiting to receive. All the girls, by nature, are willing to turn around and help and bless these boys. Are y'all hearing this thing? Because they are by nature designed to try to make somebody happy. In fact, like Brooke went and put a piece of cake on this boy's table, and I got mad. I was like, oh, 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 doc. I was like, that joke ain't paid no bills. Bring that cake over here to your daddy, y'all, y'all. I was like, oh, what you taking him some cake for? He ain't, he ain't paid no bills. I ain't gonna lie, that dude was just looking like, man, I just want some cake. I'm looking like I want to fight that dude. <laughs> He's like, I'm five, I just want some cake. But she was literally wired to make Adam happy. And because, watch this, because Eve was constructed for Adam's happiness, she can never be fulfilled while he is unhappy. Do y'all catch this? So that Shanti Feldman in, in her book, uh, uh, For Men's Eyes Only, she says, talking about her husband, she says, when we're at odds, nothing is right in, in the world until it is resolved. So husband like has a, fi a fight with his wife. He goes to work, man, and he's having a good day like ain't nothing wrong in the world. But sometimes you can tell when a woman had a bad day at home. Sometimes. Because ain't nothing right. Eve can't be happy as long as Adam is unhappy. And what I'm saying to us ultimately is this, is that we got to get to a place, beloved, where we realize that if you invest in her and you treat her with the kindness that the Bible says we should, I need you to know that everything that you invest is going to come back to you a hundredfold and make your life even more enhanced. Can the church say amen? In other words, I believe that our wives sometimes are like a piano. Amen. So my kids are in piano lessons, and so what they'll do is sometimes they will come, and you know, because they're just playful, and they just want to come, and they just want to bang on the piano. And they just want to make all kind of noise. And it just drives me crazy. Because I'm saying, we bought this thing for you, but it's not supposed to be used that way. It won't make a good sound. I know Sister Dudley's head is about to explode right now. I know it is. I know it is. I felt you. I didn't even see you, but I felt you. It won't make a right sound that brings joy unless you hit the right notes. Ah, oh, y'all didn't hear me. In other words, brothers, you can't get the love you need as long as you just hitting any notes. You got to hit the right notes.
who all the sinners are in the room now. Come on now. See, if you need love, then you got to play the right notes. Come on now. Ah. Sometimes I sit in my room and I stare at the wall and in the back of my mouth. Oh, come on now. Come on now. Come on now. You got to play the right notes. And if you don't like the sound you're getting, you might be playing the wrong notes. Does that make sense to somebody in this room today? All right, so, so again, I want to talk real quick. Husbands, again, it's self-destructive when you don't prioritize quality time with her. Come on, say amen. Amen, somebody. You've got to prioritize quality time with her. And I said this to the Honeymooners group uh, last week. The main culprit sometimes with this is when there is an imbalance in your provider instinct. So, like, so, and again, ladies, I need you to give them a little grace on this. Because see, the one thing about God, so again, as he hardwired Eve to please, he hardwired man to provide. But see, what we do is, what we tend to do sometimes as men, is we decide, okay, I'm either going to be provider or romancer, when it's not supposed to be one or the other, it's supposed to be both. And I'll allow my provider instinct to smother my romance instinct. If that makes sense to me, you say Amen. And see, the reason this is really important, we got to find that balance, is because of, as is men, you know, you don't really walk around with love songs playing in your head. Like, there are certain things that you're prioritizing and seeing. And so, like, if you're not careful, the issue of providing how you're going to make it, the future, the next bill, the house, retirement, it will literally become a preoccupation that will smother all of the joy and intimacy and quality time out of your relationship. And as you've heard me say a lot of times, husbands, like we got to, again, re-understand our role in this equation. We oftentimes say the husband is the provider. No, the husband is not the provider. God is the provider. The husband is the gatherer. Are y'all hearing me, saints? And see, the reason I'm so preoccupied and stressed about money and how we're going to make it is I've misunderstood my role. You realize you can't make nothing happen that God done provide for you, you can go on a thousand interviews with your great resume and your great skills and your charm, but if God don't open the door, it will not open up. You realize that if God don't send the business, it won't come. If God don't ordain the deal, it will not appear. If God does not allow things to fall in place, it will not fall into place. You can brown nose, you can skin again, you can scratch backs, you can do all that stuff, but only God can provide. And see, the reason I'm saying this is you've got to spend less time obsessing about the next deal, the next bill, how you're going to retire, and, and invest in the thing that matters the most. It's because literally what happens is you prioritize something that is ultimately going to lead to your wife's unhappiness. It's amazing. I've read something interesting. Because we think, man, because again, I'm with you, fellas, because like, you know, men and women see love kind of differently. You're thinking, man, like, man, I, I love my wife. And the way I love, show her love is I work hard, right? I work hard. So like, man, I used to be like, gee, man, I was like, man, you love. I mean, you talk about dates and, and cars and flowers. I mean, this, this mortgage, that's love. That car payment, that's love. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about? No, no, these groceries you bought and it was money back, that was love right there. All right? But again, your, your wife is going to, again, quality, she's going she's to prioritize emotional security above financial security. Am I telling the truth, ladies? It's amazing, I read this, I didn't believe it at first, but seven out of 10 women stated that they would be willing to struggle financially if they could ensure connectedness to their husbands emotionally. In other words, she's saying, I would rather live in a smaller house, drive an older car, 
not have as many clothes. Are y'all hearing me? Now again, now, now again, I, and again, I'm, I'm talking about, again, a healthy woman is the best way I'll say it. <laughs> she just wants you, right? So even when you look at what a woman daydreams about, a woman's daydreams are very different than a man's. So she's not, when she's thinking about getting married, it's not like, oh man, I can't wait to buy those stock options. That's not what she's daydreaming about. It's like, oh man, I can't wait to get my 401k in place. She thinks about that, but that's not her daydreaming. Her daydreams probably look something more like this. All right? They usually involve connection. They usually involve intimacy. They usually involve conversation. Like, I don't understand why it is that like, a woman gets flowers, I'm like, you can't eat it? Can't drive, can't live in it? Are <laughs> y'all hear what I'm saying? And even if she wants the house of her dreams, you realize that the house ain't gonna mean nothing to her if she ain't got the right man to share it with. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And what I'm saying is, I think we ought to get to that place where we prioritize quality time. So you're saying, man, she gets mad because I work hard. I don't think that's just the case. It's not just that you work hard, but it's how you spend your spare time after that. In other words, you can't give 80 hours to the job and then the few moments you have to your, at home, you can't, you can't give that time to the boys. You can't give that time to your video games. You can't give that time to the television. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? So again, she, she appreciates the fact that you work hard, you prioritize, you take care. But again, you, she cannot be given the leftovers. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And in other words, a wife will never function as one of several priorities. She'll only function well when she knows she is the priority. Because see, one of the things about a wife is that when she feels like she's having to compete, what she's going to do is she's going to kill the competition. Mm -hmm. So if she perceives the competition as being your friends, she's coming after them. If she perceives it as being your television, I mean, you're going to come home and it's just going to be a crack right down the middle of that joint. If she perceives the competition as being your work or your career, then she's going to begin to fuss about the way. And again, it's not that she doesn't want you to work hard, but again, but she feels like it has taken a place that is above her place in your life. Come on and say amen. amen. Number two, I want to say this real quick, husbands, is again, it's self-sabotage. When you don't guard the boundaries, your boundaries are your portals. Amen, brothers. All right, sisters. Amen, sisters. You got to guard your boundaries, how you interact with members of the opposite sex. Amen. You need to guard how close you get in their space and how you let them share your space. You know, in church, it shouldn't be no chest-to-chest -chest hugs. Amen? There's a good, 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 good church hug right there on the side and the shoulder, right there. Amen. Amen? Amen? Guard your boundaries and your portals. Because the Bible says watch and pray. Brothers, and I think we all need this, from the pastor to the back door, that you will not fall into temptation. The reason you guard the boundaries and the portals is this, because even if the spirit is willing, the flesh is still weak. So the reason you guard your boundaries and your portals is not because you can't trust them. The reason you guard your boundaries is because you ought to know good and well you can't trust yourself. 
Amen. In, in other words, like I want you to see this thing in the scripture, like see again, because we, we, we've kind of lived with this lie that just says, you're a man, it's going to be a man, a man is going to do what a man is going to do. Not a man of God. And you notice when I, when I say man of God, I don't mean preacher, I mean Christian who is a man. Look at what the word says. The Bible says, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for your flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. You know what they're saying? The Bible says you can't make no provision for your lust. In other words, what provision means is it means to set out something that feeds something else. In other words, you can't set out nothing sexually to feed your flesh. So you got to guard your portals. You can't let no clown from your job be sending you pictures of some Instagram model on your phone. No, 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 you can't, you can't join the boys Saturday night when they're when they still going to the club. No, they, they still chasing illusions. God has given you the real thing. You can't make no provision for the flesh. And literally, if it literally means shutting down certain apps on your phone, putting down the computer, or not accessing after a, after a certain time, or only putting in the computer where there is a common area, where there is accountability, you need to do whatever you need to do to be saved. And no, this ain't practical, but godliness is not practical. It means I'm going to be saved by any means necessary. Are y'all hearing me today, saints? No, Pastor, you know, I'm just looking at, you know, we, men going to do it. All things are full of weariness, and a man cannot utter it, but the eye is not satisfied with seeing. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Are you, I mean, you crazy. You're going to sit up and tell me you can look at this half-naked woman, and all it is is just a look. Y'all, stop lying to yourself. The eye is the gateway to all desire, and eyes are not satisfied with just seeing it. After a point is going to awaken desire, it is the first step to all practice. And the fall of every strong man, it began just like when David, he's just coming out, chilling, looking over the terrace. And the downfall of his house, it all began when he saw Bathsheba. Because his eye wasn't satisfied with just seeing it. And neither are yours. Amen. Amen, brothers. Amen. Amen. You got to guard your portals. And let me just say this, since I'm already, y'all mad at me already. Guard your portals and see you engender trust with your wife by not trying to keep these portals closed and secret. If you live in right, she can have the code to your telephone. You ain't hiding nothing. Because this thing about an insecure woman, see, when you do this stuff, you create, because the crazy thing about it is you create an environment of insecurity. Because when an insecure woman, because remember, if I do this, I'm hurting myself, right? Because an insecure woman is going to withhold. An insecure woman is going to attack. An insecure woman is going to interrogate. An insecure woman is going to snoop. And you know why she's snooping? Because she already know you up to dirt. And see, the problem is she don't need hard evidence to know you lying. She's got an intuition. She's got a sixth sense. The only reason she's looking is because she know you lying. And it's crazy. I'll give it to some of y'all. Some of y'all will die with the lie, but she know you lying. She's going to snoop. And an insecure woman is going to try to restrict your movements. But when you engender trust by making sure you guard your boundaries and you guard your portals, you got to realize, man, that not, you know, just as a man of God, there are just certain optics you got to even avoid. So, female co-worker, 
Invite you to go to lunch? I say, yeah, who all is going with us? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because you know what the Bible says, you got to even guard, y'all want this sermon to be over, I can tell. You got to even avoid the appearance of evil. In other words, you kicking it with her over here at, you know, Jim and Nick's, you ain't did nothing wrong, but then somebody from church sees you and her at Jim and Nick's, you realize that that girlfriend from church, she ain't going to keep it to herself. She's going to talk about it. She, gonna tell, she might even take a picture and put the joint on Facebook. And now you ain't did nothing wrong, but you got trouble in your house simply because you were out of position. Are y'all hearing the word of God today? And what I'm saying to us today, beloved, is we just got to make sure we guard our portals because we do not want to foster an environment of insecurity. You want your wife to be secure. You want her to understand her place. You want her to understand that there is no other, that there is no second, no third, no fourth place, that she is the only one. Are y'all hearing me today, saints? It's literally, man, literally had this happen in counseling once in, in Kentucky where a guy, he literally did some of this stuff. And it's crazy because the reason he did some of this foolishness is not because he wanted her to step out. But he thought he could get more from his wife by proving to her that she wasn't the only one who wanted him. And the thing that he was trying to do to get more from her was the very self-destructive thing that actually pushed her further away from him. Does that make sense to somebody in this room? Last thing is I'm getting ready to close is this, is that a self-sabotaging man, he, what he's going to do is he does not provide any vision or spiritual direction. All right, so, so look, I want you to look at Proverbs 28. I want you to see this verse. It says, what we, what we memorize, it says, where there is no vision, people what? Perish. But it actually has a different meaning. Uh, uh, the, the, the NIV says, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. Did y'all see that? I like the New Living Translation. It says, where there is no revelation, people run wild. See, I, I don't know if we get why, why the husband has to be a spiritual man. The husband has to be a seer. The husband has to be a visionary. The husband has to understand the future because where there is no vision, people run wild, the Bible says. A literal translation means everybody does what seems best to them. Did y'all catch this? So the reason she seems to be working against you, the reason there seems not to be any teamwork, the reason there seems to be so much conflict, a lot of times it's not just because she wants to be disrespectful or rebellious, because in the absence of a vision, people just do what seems best. In other words, because she's not functioning out of vision, she begins to function out of survival. In other words, I just got to do what I got to do because I ain't getting nothing from him. Do you realize that, that I'm your pastor, but you're her spiritual leader? So that when, some, when your wife needs a word from God, she shouldn't have to come set an appointment to sit down from, with me. When she needs a word from God, all she should have to do is roll over to the other side of the bed. But you got to be able to provide some spiritual direction, a spiritual tempo, a spiritual pace. And see, at the end of the day, she's, she's got to be able to trust the authenticity of your spiritual walk with God. Are y'all hearing me today? So, because so, again, the whole idea of submission, we want the wife to submit. Submit to the husband as unto the Lord. But you realize that for a woman, and tell me if I'm telling the truth, ladies, if your man is showing up walking with God and hearing from God and he's walking in the ways of God, submitting to him, that ain't, that ain't, even, a, that ain't even no issue. That ain't even, you ain't even trying to fight that fight. 
when you know he walks in the ways of God and he will not depart from God and he will not allow the word and the commandment of God to come out of his mouth, that whole submission thing, that's for people who have men who don't know God. But when she knows, man, that he's going to walk in the ways of God, she'll follow him wherever he leads. But when she knows God better than you do, it's hard for her to follow you because that's literally like the seeing following the blind. That's exactly what it is. If you can't see none, what, what I'm following you for? If you can't see none, I'm the fool for following you. So that even when you're, when you're considering a husband, one of the characteristics, not just how much he makes, not just what he does for a living, but is that somebody whose leadership I can follow? So when you provide spiritual direction, vision, not just financial vision, not just a vision of where we're going to live, but you got to provide a vision for your relationship. Where are we going to be? How are we going to function? How are we going to interact with each other? Where do we want to land? Who is, ah, you got to give her a vision of the old couple you all want to become. Because if she understands the destination, then she has clarity about the directions. Are y'all hearing me? I'm done, I'm done. Was it helpful for you guys today? Was it helpful for you guys today? Listen. And, and see, the thing is, I, I, uh, I know I took it long, but it just, there's a lot that was on my mind. The thing I need us to get is that, again, our greatest issues and our greatest enemies, the greatest threats, they not from outside. They don't know, like even the devil, like he only has as much access as you allowed him. When you run around with the devil, he's just all in my house. No, that's your fault. Why he, why he got that much access? Oh, you lost a job. No, there is no temptation, no test coming from except that which is common unto man. But there are some self-destructive things that we are putting in play and setting in motion. And see, the crazy thing about it is we do these things thinking we are making it better when the truth is we're actually making it worse. And see, the reason I started with the women is because when we talk about her words and her exposing and her this and, and her withholding, you realize most of those things are actually a reaction. Usually she's reacting. And it's called, say, husbands, if you set the pace and you function as God intended, a lot of that stuff you ain't got to tell her not to do. She just ain't reacting to some of that foolishness anymore. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? So right now, as we get ready to close this service out, I know we took us long, but I want to encourage us to be back, you know, the Venture families and our, our service at 6 o'clock p.m., our, 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 our breakouts. God has so much more he wants to say to us. But I want to just take a moment, and I just want to invite all of my couples to come down to the front. I want to pray for you. I just want to offer this prayer for you. I, I want to pray that God will move out all the self-destructive elements. I want you to go home and really consider your ways. I want you to go home and really look at what you're practicing and what you're doing. I want you to go home and really look and say, man, are our habits sustainable? Do our habits better us? Or when you look at your habits, the things you do every day, is, it our, is our end an inevitable ruin because of the things I practice each and every day? So again, what we're simply praying is we're going to pray the spirit of self-sabotage out of the homes here in First Church. Before I pray, husbands, do me a favor, grab your wives, bring them close. Pray a blessing for her. 
Pray a blessing for her. Pray a blessing for her. Pray a blessing for her. Pray a blessing for her. Just pray close. Pray close. Pray a blessing for her. We know that you have been blessed for listening to this message. Join us next week for another inspirational message. If you would like more information about the First SBA Church located in Huntsville, Alabama, or have a prayer request, please visit us at www.firstsbachurch.com. Our services are streamed live on Saturday mornings at 11.30 a.m., and Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. Central Time. And you're invited to watch these live programs on our website. Until next time, may God richly bless and keep you in His care.